0: The more diversity of food in general, the better our gut bacteria is going to be. So we want to have a increase in gut bacteria, of the healthy bacteria, that will help to offset the bad bacteria. So how can we make it more satisfying for you so that you can actually enjoy it? And how can we make it easy?
1: Thomas Edison. Hello, I am your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 226. How did we get to 226 of ADHD for smart-ass Women? I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter over at TracyOtsuka.com. You know, my purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. And in the thousands of ADHD women, that I've had the privilege of meeting. I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something. And that includes you, my friend. So almost three years ago during COVID uh, in 2020, i met our guest for the first time, nutritionist, Nicole Damassey malcher Did I pronounce that right, Nicole? Yes. I'm sure I ask you that every time. Um, when she was a guest on this podcast, She very briefly mentioned um, when we were talking almost three years ago, the gut-brain access and how what we eat and what's happening in the gut can directly influence our central nervous system and therefore our physical and mental health. At the time, I remember saying something along the lines of the fact that, well, Nicole, but this is somewhat controversial, isn't it? And Nicole said, actually, no, it's not. There is tons of science behind it. Since then, Nicole and I have been talking about her coming back on to specifically address this, which is what we're doing today. So I'm just going to do a quick bio and then we'll get into it. Nicole Damasi Malcher is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and certified diabetes care and educational specialist with a master's degree in nutrition and food science. She's the founder of the Eating with ADHD online course and community that's helped over 500 adults with ADHD stop feeling overwhelmed with eating, stop binging, and improve their health through intuitive eating. After receiving an ADHD diagnosis at age 33 and struggling with eating and body image for most of her life, her 10-plus years of experience as a dietitian helped her uncover the connection between ADHD and disordered eating. She has since dedicated her career to helping women with ADHD heal their relationship with food, and their bodies. She's lived in three different states in the last two years and currently lives in San Diego with her husband and 15-month-old daughter. Nicole, did I get all of that right? Yes, you did. Thank you. So (laughs) wait a minute. Now, you're back in San Diego. How did I not know that? Because weren't you in Brooklyn? Yes. I
0: can't figure out where I want to live. I'm very (laughs) classic, classic ADHD brain, but yeah. We, I'm from Rhode Island. Then I moved to California for 10 years to do my grad school and everything. And then I went back to the East Coast, lived in Brooklyn. And then I moved back to Rhode Island to mm. my family when I had my daughter. And now we're back on the West Coast. <laughs> so it's been quite a few years. So do you prefer San Diego? I actually miss the Los Angeles area. Because Mm. it feels like home to me because that's where I lived for so long. Ah, But we're getting used to it. And so
1: how did you end up back in San Diego? The weather. Ah. (laughs) The weather always traps everyone, doesn't it? I just, I'm so
0: influenced by the seasons. Like I get seasonal depression very easily. And I just Ah. find my mood is so much better when I'm in the sun and I can go for walks every day. It's just easier to be active and get outside in nature, which is so good for our brains when it's nice out every day. So I just find it to be much better for me.
1: Yeah. I mean, it just is something that you can then do every day and there are no gaps, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. I don't have to worry about getting in the car and going to the gym and all that. I mean, which is totally fine if you can do that. I highly recommend it, but (laughs) you don't have to if it's nice outside and you can get out there most days and walk. Yeah, and especially with a 15-month-old daughter.
1: Yes. I remember those carriage walks. Those were so fun.
0: Yeah, it's nice. I mean, we don't have a lot of family support, which has been really difficult, but my mental health on a daily basis is definitely better here. So we had to kind of, you know, weigh the pros and cons.
1: Yeah. So we're not going to talk about your ADHD diagnoses in detail because we've already done that in episode number 84, and I'll link that in the show notes if any of you listeners want to take a listen. But can you give us just a one-minute primer just so we can connect with you and know that you're one of us?
0: Yes. So I was diagnosed officially um, in 2020 at age 33. Um, I had kind of always knew that I had ADHD, but I didn't do anything about it. Classic, (laughs) classic ADHD. And I finally got my diagnosis after... Really being stir crazy, um, stuck in the house during the pandemic. And then I went on to get a neuropsych eval to further confirm it. Um, and I've been working with people, or mostly women, with ADHD ever since then. So um, it's completely changed my life. And like many of the women who are listening and who have been on your show, just understanding the diagnosis and knowing what's going on in my brain has helped my life tremendously. And I just have so much more self-compassion and I'm much nicer to myself and the people
1: around me. (laughs) (laughs) So what were some of the symptoms that, um, you were struggling with? Um, pretty much all
0: of them. I would say (laughs) like mostly I'd say emotional dysregulation was a huge piece of it. Um, not like kind of being frustrated with myself all the time because I couldn't manage my time. I had a lot of issues with time management, Um, just constantly, you know, chaotic life, trouble with um, sensory issues like bright lights and noises and everything, which just kind of stimulate me. Obviously, having trouble with concentration, I would just read things over and over and over again, you know, switching to different tasks constantly, not really being able to focus on one. And then you know when I had my my baby after breastfeeding, my dopamine levels got you know they drop when you estrogen levels drop, and so my symptoms were so bad after I had her and it was just terrible to plan and prioritize and manage my life was was pretty hard after that
1: so can I ask you um so okay, but you had the baby after that. So you were diagnosed, knew you had ADHD, and then had the baby. Correct? Because she's only fifteen months old.
0: Yeah, it just. It, I mean, it brought, it brings on a whole new set <laughs> of, of challenges that you have. Yeah, and um, I think just you know what we know about dopamine and estrogen is like you know your when your estrogen levels drop dramatically after you have. A baby, especially when you're breastfeeding, may stay low for a while. Um, your dopamine levels also drop. So your ADHD symptoms are exacerbated. So were you diagnosed? I'm trying to
1: remember. Was it inattentive ADHD? It's a combined, combined type. type. Okay. And then I have to ask you how was your brain? How did your brain function while you were pregnant? Were you, um, I don't know, it was the, I just remember, I mean, I didn't know anything about ADHD and it was decades later that I was diagnosed, but I remember being so on it, I could accomplish anything. I, you know, everybody else complained about how, oh, they were tired and, you know, their brain wasn't working and I was just firing on all cylinders. I've never felt like that before. Mm -hmm. Were you like that or were you struggling?
0: I, oh yeah, I, I completely can relate to you. I actually, created my entire AD, eating with ADHD online course during my pregnancy because my brain was functioning. I felt so calm. Yeah. And I could think straight. It was like my my emotions weren't as dysregulated, mm-hmm. which I know seems crazy for a lot of people because they say, oh, pregnancy, your hormones are out of whack. It's like, well, yeah, but I'm finally getting that <laughs> probably the dopamine that I wow. needed. <laughs> and it, it really helped me. And I say that's, that's one of the attributes that allowed me to get my course out and actually finish it.
1: Oh, I'm so happy to hear that because I know a lot of um, women with ADHD have not had my experience. And so every time I hear that someone has, I think, okay, we need to get together and figure out what does that mean as far as medication and does medication work for you?
0: So I, I haven't been able to take it because I was born with a heart condition. Ah,
1: uh, okay. So
0: I can't take anything that could potentially affect my blood pressure, but I know that there are some studies that show taking hormonal birth control, like with estrogen can actually increase, you know, or improve your ADHD symptoms. Hmm. Uh, you know, if you can't take ADHD meds, but I'm still breastfeeding. So when I'm done breastfeeding, I'd like to try the non-stimulants like Welbutrin, which has been shown to to help. And it also helps with blood pressure. So it's one of those that actually- And
1: mood. I mean, that is one that, I mean, obviously this is anecdotal, but I have spoken to so many women and it seems to be that the medications that I hear the most success with are Wellbutrin and Vivant's? No idea why, but especially Wellbutrin if there are also mood issues.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've heard that as well. I have a lot of clients who take um, Vivance and Wellbutrin as well, especially because there there are a lot of people who are managing blood pressure issues. Right,
1: right. Okay, so you're finally here to discuss what we're here to discuss, the gut-brain access. We've been talking about this for almost three years. Where should we start?
0: Um, I think it's important for people to understand what the gut is because there's a lot of misinformation out there. So I'll just get right into what the gut is. So The gut is basically a term to describe the digestive tract, right? So it actually um, makes up the enteric nervous system. So the nervous system that lives inside of our guts, and there's two layers that are made up of more than like 100 million nerve cells from in the GI tract that run from the esophagus all the way down to the rectum It actually starts in the mouth. The gut's role is really to digest and absorb nutrients, release enzymes, but it also has a protective barrier as well because it protects us from harmful pathogens, right? That's It functions as a big part of our immune system. The gut microbiome is really the term for what makes up the trillions of the good and bad bacteria, viruses, fungi that make up, um, that live in our gut. It's also known as the gut flora. So we actually need those to survive. And it's often called the second brain because there's so much communication that goes back and forth between the central nervous system, the brain, and the enteric nervous system because Within the gut-brain connection, that's really the communication network that connects the gut and the brain. So it's signaling constantly to the brain, and the actual microbes they've shown in research actually are speaking to the brain, and then the brain actually speaks back to um, to those nerves as well. So it's very, very interesting. There's a lot of research on it, and um, we're finding now that what causes our mood to be affected can actually not only be caused when you're, you know, you're stressed out and you have those butterflies in your stomach or you're nervous because you have to, you know, speak publicly. Sometimes that causes us to get an upset stomach or when we have those butterflies when we're really excited about something. We know that our nervous system can affect our gut, but there's research that shows that our gut the microbiome itself can actually be affecting our mood as well. So it's really, really interesting research. And I think one of the most important things when we're talking about ADHD is that neurotransmitters that are responsible for ADHD symptoms like serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine, those are all actually most, a large percentage of them are made in the gut. From the foods that we eat and from the bacteria that actually produces them, which is so interesting.
1: Okay, so let's back up a second because you threw a lot at us here. So explain the enteric nervous system versus, you know, the general nervous system.
0: So the enteric nervous system is basically the nervous system that lives within the gut. So there's like
1: a hundred. That's why it's called the second brain. Yes,
0: exactly. Because there's so many nerves that are within our gut and the brain is actually communicating with those nerves as well. So it's known as the second brain because of that because of the amount of nerves that we have there. And there's so much communication going on back and forth.
1: And so then how does the enteric nervous system communicate with, I mean, what do you call it? The general nervous system? I know there's another word for it. I'm not thinking of what it is.
0: Um, There's the central nervous system. Central nervous system. That's (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So that's like the brain and, you know, all the other nerve cells like within the spinal
1: cord. Mm Mm-hmm. And so how do they communicate with each other? Or do they?
0: They do. Yes, absolutely. So within the enteric nervous system, we have these little villi on our gut. Basically, it's the hairs that have sensors on them that talk to the vagus nerve. So have you heard of the vagus nerve? I have, but why don't you explain it? Basically, the vagus nerve is really like one of the main nerves in the parasympathetic nervous system, right? So it's responsible for controlling certain body functions like your digestion, your heart rate, and your immune system. And these functions are really involuntary, meaning like you can't really consciously control them. Um, There are ways to affect the vagus nerve, like to stimulate it by increasing the vagal tone, meaning that you can improve your body's response to the nervous system. So like if you go into fight or flight, um, a lot of times they'll say that you can do things to improve your vagal response, meaning there's a way to calm down your nervous system by affecting your vagus nerve. So what you do is actually deep breathing or humming or singing, because we know that if you're deep breathing, you're breathing well, or you're humming or you're singing, then you're probably not in that much danger, right? Like if there's a tiger chasing you and you're singing a song, humming, <laughs> <but you're laughs> and you're breathing heavily, and it's, um, you know, you're breathing through your your abdomen and taking nice deep breaths, then you're probably not in that much danger. So your body actually responds to that and it calms down. Just like you you talk about in a lot of your podcasts with deep breathing and box breathing and things like that. Those all help to calm down the parasympathetic nervous system, which then affects your gut because that vagus nerve is directly speaking to your gut as well. So if you have, you know, a person who tends to get a stomach ache, like an upset stomach or, or the opposite, you get constipation when you're stressed because think about it. If you are in fight or flight or freeze, and you are chasing or you you are getting chased by a tiger, the last thing your body cares about is digesting food, right? It wants to divert that energy to other body parts so that you can run. And part of that is helping to relax the vagus nerve, which is directly connected from, you know, your central nervous system down to your enteric nervous system. And that is the connection that we speak about when we talk about the gut-brain
1: connection. All of those nerves that talk to each other constantly. So what is happening when you're all stressed out? Um, your parasympathetic you know, uh, nervous system is out of whack. What is happening in the gut? And is that happening in the enteric nervous system? Because that's the one that's in the gut? Um,
0: yes, it's happening to both. Because okay. I mean your your body's connected as a whole right it's not like just one thing turns on or turns off like if your if your nervous system is triggered in any way it's going to directly communicate to your enteric nervous system because they're they're a bi-directional communication right they're constantly speaking to each other so just like like I mentioned before if you're nervous or you're upset a lot of people tend to report issues with digestion, right? So you might get stomach, you might get indigestion, constipation is very common one, um, abdominal pain, things like that. So it's because of that bi-directional communication. And so there's a lot more research that needs to be done on exactly what's happening, like the physiology behind it, but we do know that there's communication going on
1: there. Okay. And that communication then is responsible for the whatever... Good or bad flora you have in the gut, so it can't it so what
0: happens is that stress actually immediately will affect the digestion of food because it slows down digestion, right? So if mm-hmm. you're constantly stressed and you're not digesting your food, you're probably not going to be absorbing nutrients the way that you need to, and that can have a direct effect on like the type of gut bacteria that you have in your stomach as well. I'm sorry, in your, in your gut. When I say stomach, a lot of people refer to their entire gut. But when I say gut, I
1: mean like the actual intestines, right? Um, okay. But that, Okay. So that is so interesting. So what you're saying is it's the digestion or lack of digestion that comes about when we're stressed that then causes these problems in the gut.
0: Yeah, and th- there's a lot that goes into it too because okay. it's, it's not just about the, the gut motility and the digestion. There's also hormones that are involved as well mm-hmm. and neurotransmitters that are involved, right? Um, and so are they also affected by the stress? Hormones? Mm hmm. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, 100%. So, like we know, cortisol is a stress hormone, right? So, that's increased when we're stressed the cortisol goes up and that can actually directly affect
1: your hunger hormones. I think what I meant to ask is not the, if the hormones are affected as well by whether or not you're digesting food properly.
0: Um, they are. I don't know the exact physiology behind it. Mm-hmm. they are definitely affected. I'm trying to think of how I would
1: answer that let me see. It sounds like they're all connected in some way, right? It's all, yeah, it's
0: all connected. Um, Your hormones, so there are tons of (laughs) processes in the body that are constantly going on without even thinking about it. Hormones is just one of them. There's the enteric nervous system. There's the central nervous system. There is the the hormones, there's the types of foods that we're eating, there's stress, there's (laughs) medication that we're taking, there's the amount of sleep that you're getting. Exactly. Sleep affects affects it, right? If you're not sleeping enough, sometimes that can increase your cortisol, which can change your hunger hormones and affect how much you're eating. So there's just, there's so much involved within the gut and the brain. But I think, you know, The most important thing is really just how much you're eating and what you're doing for self-care. Those
1: are the two things I would really focus on. Okay. And so when you're talking about digestive issues, you'd also be talking about diseases, right? IBS and other inflammatory type diseases. Is that true?
0: Yeah. So... Of course, like those IBS, Crohn's, irritable bowel disease, diverticulitis, all of those things actually are basically an increase in inflammation in the gut that are triggered by certain things. Some of it's genetics, some of it's, you know, the way we eat, our lifestyles, things like that. But there is an increase in inflammation. And there's a lot of studies that show that people with like IBS and Crohn's have reduced vagal tone. Mm. So the vagus nerve doesn't work as well. And we don't know if it's maybe that, maybe the vagus nerve was already affected and that's causing it, or it's maybe that those diseases actually affect the vagus nerve. But Uh, I'm sure it's a, you know, it's a two-way street. mm -hmm. Everything affects everything. So that's why there's a lot more research that needs to be done on it. And I wish I could give like a more definitive answer, but they're still doing a lot of research. But we do know that there are lots of things that affect it. And primarily what you can do to, you know, help these things is just to, what what I'm going to talk about later is about diet and stress and Mm -hmm. um, self-care.
1: So what about autoimmune diseases? Are those affected as well by um, your gut and you know, all of this, what we're talking about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I can't say like specifically which ones because there's so many of them, like there's so many autoimmune diseases out yeah. there, but we know for sure that the gut and our immune our immune system actually about, I forget the percentage of our gut that's responsible for our immune system, but it's a high percentage. And if you, because if you think about it, our gut is really the barrier that protects A lot of those harmful pathogens from coming in. So it functions as a huge part of our nervous system. So if we have a lot of those harmful pathogens coming in from the food that we're eating, and I don't I I hesitate to say that our food is harmful because I don't want people to fear food. I want them (laughs) to actually be able to eat it and like nourish their bodies without having any guilt and shame. But if you do have any sensitivities or if you have any allergies to foods and you like continuously, you know, eat them, or maybe let's say you're eating food that is bad. Let's say you have, you know, you get like, um, food poisoning or something like that, that can cause inflammation in the gut. And so sometimes what happens over time, if you do have a lot of inflammation is that it can cause what's known as leaky gut which is controversial too, because it doesn't really have a, like an official diagnosis. Like you won't get an official diagnosis of that, like, Mm -hmm. you know, a GI clinic, but there is a lot of studies to show that those gaps that lie within the digestive tract, actually that are meant to be closed to help protect things from getting into the body, you know, outside of the digestive tract into the body can actually open a little bit and it leaks into our into our body where it's not supposed to be Mm -hmm. and it can get into the bloodstream. And so sometimes they say that, you know, based on research that it can potentially trigger some autoimmune diseases. Um, But it's not all related to that either. There's a lot of other things that affect it. Like I said before, if you're, you know, highly stressed Mm-hmm. Or if you're exposed to other environmental toxins, sometimes that can switch on certain genes that, yeah. you know, make you have an autoimmune disease. So it's not all gut related, but your your gut does have a huge part of it.
1: You know, one of the things that I've really noticed, um, I never knew anybody with multiple sclerosis. But ever since I've been in this ADHD area, I have met so many women with ADHD and MS. And I know that there, ha- there are studies that have been done that show that if a mother has multiple sclerosis, the odds of her kids having ADHD are just through the roof. I think it was like 80%. And so I'm curious, how does gut health, and I know I'm just, you know, I'm trying to like grab these straws of uh, what causes what, and we don't really know, but we know that they're all somehow related. How does gut health affect ADHD? And maybe it should be two questions. How does gut health affect our mood? Do we know? And then how does gut health affect our ADHD symptoms or ADHD in general?
0: Yeah, so I mean... First off, we know that there is still a long way to go in research in terms of like knowing exactly what's going on. Can I
1: ask, um, so the studies that are being done, are they still primarily being done on, I guess it's rats, or do they have human studies now too?
0: Yeah, it it is mostly rats. But uh, the other thing is that there's a lot of studies that are done on kids and and men as well. Mm -hmm because they don't have, you know, the hormonal fluctuations. yeah. Yeah. There's a lot more that goes into it than what they're actually testing. Um, But there have been some studies, like there's a couple that have been done where they've actually taken stool samples from an infant and they've placed it into a mouse and then they waited, well, they waited 10 years. And then if that infant had ADHD, they would place it into a mouse and then they, some of the mice actually exhibited different changes in their behaviors mm. after they, you know, were implanted with this stool sample. And obviously, these are, you know, th- these are preliminary studies. There needs to be a lot more research done on
1: this. Um, I'm but assuming, if- though, they did those studies on kids that didn't end up having ADHD as well, right? And they didn't exhibit those ADHD-type symptoms?
0: Yeah, there always has to be a control. Yeah, okay. To- Show any like, you know, cause and effect. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, ADHD is complex as well. So we don't know if, like, you can't diagnose the mouse with ADHD. (laughs) You can only see, like, sure, they're exhibiting some different symptoms. And Mm -hmm. and it can also be maybe anxiety or it can be some other things. So it's incredibly complex. But we do know that, you know, based on other studies, that people who have depression, anxiety, Parkinson's, like other neurodevelopmental diseases do tend to show that they have different types of bacteria, different Mm. uh, gut microbiome than people who are considered, you know, quote unquote healthy or don't have these issues. Um, So it can help. And that's why I think it's important to focus on, you know, improving your diet because it, it definitely can't hurt to do that, to help, you know, improve some symptoms potentially.
1: So how does having ADHD affect our gut health then? In so
0: many ways. (laughs) So, I mean, I guess I'll first start by saying like (laughs) with ADHD, we know that eating can be so chaotic and overwhelming with our executive dysfunction, right? We have trouble with meal planning and shopping and cooking and we have poor interoceptive awareness, which is, you know, our ability to feel what's actually going on inside our bodies, our ability to feel our hunger and fullness cues. We have lack of dopamine, so we tend to use food for stimulation, right? We hyperfocus. we're time-blind, it makes us forget to eat. If we're taking stimulants medication, that actually decreases our appetite. We have sensory issues that decreases the amount of food we're eating, there's diet culture influence, societal pressure, right? Not eating enough food in general. And then the overall quality of our diet, if we're just constantly reaching for, you know, like those like quick foods mm-hmm. in the pantry that maybe aren't as nourishing to our bodies. And I have to say, you know, I just want to give a little disclaimer here that my approach to to eating is with you know an intuitive one so i use intuitive eating for all of my clients and it's really in a way that it's an anti-diet weight neutral based approach that really focuses on how you want to feel rather than how you want to look so we don't talk about weight it's actually making sure that you're eating in a way that is good for your mental and physical health no food rules um you know it's rejecting that diet mentality It is moving in a way that feels good for your body and all these different things. So when I talk about gut health and I talk about the importance of it, I don't want anyone to feel like they need to go on this like really strict diet or anything. It's actually quite the opposite because what happens with all of these things that we struggle with with ADHD, they tend to lead to feeling out of control around food Mm. because we can't get a grip on it. We can't figure out how to eat and and manage ourselves in a way that actually makes sense. So all of that tends to lead to binging, overeating, skipping meals. And those things themselves are going to directly have an impact on our gut microbiome because they're going to decrease the diversity that we have in our diet. So the more diversity of plants that we get in our diet or diversity of food in general, the better our gut bacteria is going to be. So we want to have a increase in gut bacteria of the healthy bacteria that will help to offset the bad bacteria. And this is why eating intuitively is so important because I could just sit here and give you guys a list of things to do, or I could tell you, you know, go on elimination diet and see what's going on with your body. But that doesn't work. And actually it's going to do more harm than good because at the end of those diets, people end up just feeling out of control. They're binging. They end up actually gaining weight most of the time um, because your body's metabolism sort of down regulates over time if you're doing it over and over and over again. So dieting is not the solution for those being, having a really restrictive diet is not the solution It's actually to have a diversity in your diet and to add things in rather than take them away. And that's always my approach is, you know, what can we add to the foods that you're eating or how can we make it more satisfying for you so that you can actually enjoy it? And how can we make it easy? It has to be convenient. It has to be fast and quick and easy. And you have to make sure that it, you know, the food that you're eating is matching your mental energy as well, or else we're not going to do it, right? So it's really important to focus on healing your relationship with food and, you know, making those improvements.
1: Can I ask you, if, if you feel good, does that mean, so if you're comparing, you know, when you're just eating whatever and you just don't feel good and you realize you don't feel good, And then you make a concerted effort to focus on what kinds of food, what, you know, when you eat, all of that stuff that feels better. So you're feeling better. Does that mean that you're improving your gut health if you feel better?
0: It could. We don't really, I mean, there's no way to test it really. But based on what studies show, like if you are improving your gut health and that can have a direct impact on your mood, then it's definitely possible. Mm. But we also have to remember that the neurotransmitters that I talked about earlier, so serotonin, dopamine specifically, are actually made in the gut. So 95% of the serotonin that our body uses is actually made in the gut. Mm-hmm. And that, that's that statistic is
1: fascinating to me.
0: Because we think it's the brain, right? Right. We think it is, but it's not. And it's really important because we know it's like serotonin is used for so many things like digestion, but it's also, it helps to make us feel happy and mm-hmm. it helps with our circadian rhythm and all these different things. So if you're not eating enough, which is, you know, serotonin is primarily made from carbohydrates. So if you're not eating carbs because you're on a low carb diet or you're on a keto diet, because you want to, you know, get a specific result, like, most of the time people trying to lose weight, for example, it's not going to do anything for your gut health. We need to have a diversity of foods. The other thing that's important to mention is that dopamine is actually made from protein as well. Not primarily, like there's, there's some dopamine that's also made in the body from other things, but you do need to have enough protein in your diet in order to make dopamine and norepinephrine as well. So if you're not eating enough in general, you're not eating enough carb, you're not eating enough protein, your body is not making an optimal amount of the neurotransmitters that you need to function. So your ADHD symptoms are probably going to be affected. And um, I probably should have included that when you asked me, how is ADHD affected by gut health? Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, it's so important to make sure that you're just eating enough food in general.
1: different like variety of foods, right?
0: Yeah. Variety of food is most important. So the research shows that people who eat a variety of foods, so different types of plants, you know, meaning fibers specifically. So high fiber diet, meaning, you know, oats and whole grains and different types of fruits and vegetables, legumes, beans, lentils, but also you can also get Some of the bacteria from things like proteins as well. It doesn't have to all be fruits and veggies. But when you get a diversity of those, our gut microbiome really significantly improves. And also, there's probiotic type foods, which is really helpful as well. So, things that are fermented like yogurt, kefir, um, sauerkraut, kimchi,
1: Um, these are all things that I recommend adding into your diet as well. So, can you explain? What are probiotics? I mean, clearly they're, they're, you know, those naturally fermented foods, right, are some of them, but you can also take them, right? You can buy them in the store. What are they and what are they for? What do they do? So
0: probiotics is basically just good bacteria um, that we eat from food and you can get them from, you know, fermented foods, basically, because what happens is anything that ferments produces bacteria and then that we eat that bacteria and that's actually good for our gut food actually ferments in our digestive tract and that becomes bacteria as well but probiotics specifically are the name for like the bacteria that we actually ingest and that can be taken as you know as a supplement i don't recommend people just go and start taking a bunch of probiotics though because there's certain strains that actually help with certain things and If you just go and take a bunch of probiotics, but you're not actually focusing on your body as a whole, meaning you're still not eating well, you're not sleeping, you're not, you know, doing stress management and you're skipping meals and all that, taking a bunch of supplements is never going to do anything. It has to be, you know, you have to do, you know, help your body as a whole. But it can help if you feel like you're not getting a variety and you want to just take a general probiotic. You could ask your doctor for a recommendation. I always recommend taking one that's got a lot of different strains in it. But sometimes people find that there's worsening symptoms as well. Like some people get more gas and bloating and things yeah. like that from
1: taking certain ones. I mean, the few times I've tried, I just, I have a stomachache. Mm-hmm. So I've given up on those. However, when I do the net, the fermented foods, kimchi and those kombucha, actually the kombucha drinks, those don't work for me either, but I know like kimchi, that doesn't bother me at all.
0: Yeah, it's because, so with the probiotics, um, depending on the type that you're taking, some of them don't have nearly enough to do anything. And some of them have like mega doses. So it depends on the type and the strains that you're taking. Um, they can all do different things. It depends on your gut too. So everyone is so different because if you think about how a variety of foods will change and the the food that we eat then breaks down and creates different bacteria, every single person is going to have a unique gut microbiome. And the the bacteria that live in our gut is actually producing neurotransmitters as well. Like there's certain strains of bacteria that produce serotonin um and other neurotransmitters as well so that's why food is so important i don't recommend just taking a bunch of supplements without actually eating adequately
1: and so the only way we really know if it's going to work for us if it makes us feel better is to try it and then see if we feel better right
0: exactly and i would say you know just kind of throwing a bunch of things your body without actually having any help (laughs) sometimes can be frustrating, but also, you know, damaging if you're, if you're not careful. So I would say to try to get the help of a physician or a dietitian if you can, if you're somebody who has a lot of gut issues, but I always say like, I'm all about food first rather than taking supplements. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, there's so many other things that we can do that we need to focus on just like like I mentioned earlier, like basic self-care, like just eating three meals a day is enough for us sometimes. And that's, I mean, that's hard for us sometimes, right? To eat three meals a day or to have snacks or to have a variety of foods, especially if you're somebody who has sensory issues, right? You Or you don't really like a variety of different foods. These are all things that we struggle with, especially with meal planning, shopping, cooking, and things like that. So If you're listening, I would say, and you're like stressed out, like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get a variety of foods? How am I going to eat all these things? I would just start by focusing on how can I add in some fruits and veggies to my day? Maybe add in once a day. You can add in some fruit or vegetable if you're not already doing that and then kind of build from there. And there's nothing wrong with convenience options either. Like you can do frozen veggies and fruits. You can do um, pre-chopped, pre-cooked, whatever works for you. To just get that variety is going to be helpful and not stress about it. Keep it super simple. Don't stress. Stress is going to have more of an effect on the gut than actually, you know, not eating those foods. So I think it's important to make sure that you're thinking of your body as a whole, not overcomplicating it and just figuring out, okay, what's, what works for you? What's, what are some easy ways that you can get some more of these
1: things in your diet rather than restricting and taking things away? So can I ask you about fruit? Um, I, I eat a lot of vegetables. Um, I don't eat a lot of fruit, maybe some blueberries. Um, I like fruit, but I always feel like, well, for example, I love watermelon, but every time I eat watermelon, I have a total stomachache. I literally, uh, you know, I just, I get bloated. I I don't feel good. So I just have stopped eating fruit because I'm always worried about, you know, is it so much sugar and what is really the nutritional, like the food value? So can you talk to me about fruit? Because I, as much as I loved it, I remember when I was a kid, I had a a deal with my parents that I was allowed to, they let me just eat fruit. They probably (laughs) knew I wouldn't last very long. I think I lasted two days because I loved fruit so much. Um and then after 2 days it was like nope you can't do this anymore but I didn't want to do it anymore. So I'm I'm just curious about fruit and this hang up I have about fruit.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean fruit is is amazing for your body. It's got lots of nutrients, lots of vitamins, but there are some people who have difficulty digesting fructose, which is the sugar that's found in fruit.
1: Um, uh-huh.
0: So if you have, you know, issues with maybe a fructose intolerance or sensitivity, watermelons are pretty high in those. So it could potentially be triggering some gas and abdominal pain. But there's also evidence to show that the type of bacteria that we have in our gut can affect how you digest certain foods, because the bacteria that lives in our gut eats the food, right? So if you don't have a certain type of bacteria, then maybe it's not able to eat the fructose or break it down from the food that you're getting. It's so interesting. But I would say if you notice that watermelon specifically is a trigger for stomach pain, that maybe you can avoid that one specifically. But that doesn't mean that you'll have an issue with all fruits. Typically, berries are lower in fructose, and they don't really cause issues for people. Um, So like, you know, strawberries, um, blueberries, etc. But it's also the amount that you have. So if you if you have a small portion of it. It's not going to affect you as much as if you eat like, you know, half a watermelon, for example. So those days when you were eating fruit constantly, it was just too much of a fructose load in your body. And that probably caused you to have a a reaction. So if you're having a, you know, a varied diet or a balanced diet where you're having carbs and proteins together, so like maybe you're having fruit along with some protein um, or you're having fruit along with your meal, rather than just fruit, sometimes that can be helpful as well. Um,
1: is it really important, though, to eat fruit? Or if you're eating tons of vegetables, is that enough?
0: You don't have to eat fruit, no. So there's there's lots of different ways to get vitamins and minerals um, from your diet. So if you're getting, I mean, think about the colors that you're eating. The mm-hmm. colors really have a lot of antioxidants and they represent a lot of times the type of nutrients that are in our foods. So if you're eating a lot of veggies or on the opposite end, if somebody's listening and they eat a lot of fruit, but they don't eat a lot of veggies, then sure you might be missing out on some specific nutrients, but you're you could be getting most of them from, you know, the fruits and veggies that you're eating. So I would say focus on which ones you actually like, which ones that are satisfying to you. And stick with those and if you'd like to try some new ones that's great but you don't have to you never have to force yourself to eat anything that you don't like because that's actually against the principles of intuitive eating but i will say a lot of people don't like to eat veggies because they're afraid to prepare them in a way that's actually satisfying and tasty so like roasting veggies is great um or adding some type of sauces or seasonings yep. or like ranch for example
1: get a french All cookbook of- they make, the, or Italian, they make the best vegetables.
0: Yeah. And that's honestly the best way to improve your gut health is to increase the amount of fiber that you're having from whole grains, fruits, and veggies. So if you don't like veggies, I would say figure out why.
1: Yeah. You would- haven't had them prepared right, except for okra. Okra to me is the most disgusting thing. I have tried so many different ways. Because I always have this sense that if you don't like something, it's because it hasn't been prepared, you know. Well, but with okra, I can't. I mean, in New Orleans—I've tried it. I, I can't. Millions <laughs> of restaurants—I've given up.
0: Yeah, I don't think I've ever really tried okra enough times to know the if I like it or not. But... Slimy, <laughs> kind of. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. I it's not for everyone. But I've I even had
1: a deep fried, and I still don't like it, Nicole. <laughs>
0: that's okay. You don't have to eat it. Yeah. Just have, like It's really important to just make sure that you're eating foods that are satisfying to you and that taste good and that you enjoy. Because when we start forcing ourselves to eat things that we don't want just because, mm-hmm. that really goes against our intuition and it goes against what feels good. And then it starts to feel like a diet again. And we know that dieting does not work for us.
1: Absolutely. Okay. So what about, I know you said, you know, you really try to focus on the food rather than supplements, but I'm going to ask you about two supplements, omega-3s and um, curcurin. Is that how you say it? The cumin? No, it's not cumin. It's... um curcumin. Yeah. Curcumin. Turmeric? Yes. From turmeric. Exactly. Yeah. Which you find a lot, what, in Indian food and Thai food and...
0: Yep. It's that like bright yellow... Orangey. Yeah. Orangey. Yeah, exactly. Um, so omega threes are always going to be the one that we come back to for ADHD, right? Because it, yeah, it, I think it'd work. They do. There's so much research on it. I mean, mm-hmm. if you think about how much our brain has, you know, a, a large amount of fat in it and we need to have the fat to help make sure that our brain is functioning properly. And omega threes are one of those fats that we need that we, our bodies can't make. So we have to get it from food. So if you're not getting enough sources, natural sources from things like fatty fish, so like salmon, trout, sardines, and you're not getting any walnuts or you're not having things like flax, ground flax, um, chia seeds, then I would suggest taking an omega-3 supplement, um, one that's a good source. So making sure that it does not high
1: in mercury, for example. Right. No, that's super important. I just, you know, I just got back from visiting my son in Prague and we just constantly ate like it was cafe and kuchen every day at four o'clock and then we'd have dinner at eight. And, you know, it's really heavy, kind of rich food. And I just felt so foggy and so sluggish. And then I realized I did not bring my omega threes and I do take curcumin as well. The one with I think it's piperin. And those are the only two things that, because medication, I, I just, you know, I just struggle with anxiety when I take medication, so I can't take it. Those are the only two supplements that I think really make a difference for me. And I've got to tell you, I'm sitting here and I'm trying to kind of catch on to what you're saying. I am so slow and so foggy, and I think it's just because of. You know, not eating a whole lot of vegetables, which is what I normally eat. Eating all this heavy, rich food, eating too much. You know, I I wasn't. It didn't feel good. It was too much food because you want to try everything and not having these supplements. And I literally feel like I can't hold on to any words. I can't remember things. And I, I do feel like I've tried everything, right? And most of the supplements that I've tried, I've said no. That it it actually causes negative symptoms. It, It doesn't help at all. Versus those two, I, I do feel have made a difference for me.
0: Yeah, it definitely can. I mean, obviously, everyone's experience is very different. I think when you're traveling and you're not on your regular routine and potentially, you know, jet lagged and... And water,
1: um, too. You know, yeah. in in Europe, I, you know, beer is cheaper than water. And, so you know, since you're not constantly coming by and pouring water... And you're traveling, and I'm not the kind of person to walk around with a water bottle. I just, I think I was really dehydrated too, which, you know, that affects the brain as well.
0: <laughs> I would say it was probably more that than just like the supplements. Because I mean, supplements are amazing, obviously. But I mean, for i
1: have not, though. The thing about it is I have not taken the omega-3s. Not sure about the curcumin yet, but I have not taken the omega-3s. Like literally, I'll just forget. And granted, they're very high quality. And two weeks will go by. I'm like, what is going on with my brain? And I realize, because I'm eating the same as I normally eat, and I realize that, oh, it's because I forgot about the omega-3s. So I often wonder, because medication doesn't work for me, does that mean that things like exercise and these omega-3s work even better? I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, they definitely help. Exercise is one of the best things to increase dopamine. Mm -hmm. Right, we know that. Right. Um, I
1: woke up this morning and I still feel like, oh my god, I'm trying to grasp what she's saying and I'm struggling. No, I mean that I completely
0: get it. It's it just it really depends. I think if you're still jet lagged, that's probably one of the things. When we when we don't get enough sleep and our circadian rhythm is affected that throws off everything. Ah. And our ADHD symptoms really get worse when we don't sleep, right? Our body's just not sharp. Dehydration can really have a huge effect on our brain. If we're just even slightly dehydrated, Mm -hmm. either, um, you know, like you said, you're not drinking enough water, you're also drinking alcohol, and you're, you know, walking around a lot, you're probably, you probably are dehydrated. And that's going to have a huge effect on your brain function as well. So I would say hydration is a huge part of it. And sure, omega-3 can absolutely help just because, I mean, our fats are fats in the brain are needed to help with proper brain communication. So it can definitely help. I'm not sure how quick it would actually make a difference, but if you're noticing it and it's working for you, then I would definitely continue taking it.
1: (laughs) Maybe it's placebo. (laughs) Hey, whatever works, you know, but I I hadn't thought about jet lag. I bet you that's, that's a big part of it. Even though I feel like I have no jet lag, I likely do. Yeah.
0: Well, I think it's, you know, even if, even if you're not feeling jet lagged, I think your circadian rhythm is still kind of thrown off and that does have an effect on your whole body, on your hormones. Um, It can really affect everything. So.
1: Yeah, totally. Okay. So Nicole, are you working on something? That you want to tell us about? So, I currently
0: have a couple different things going on in my business. I have my Eating with ADHD online course, and it's basically a. a Wow, I just completely lost my train of thought. There we go. (laughs) Speaking of tiredness, (laughs) so my Eating with ADHD online course is. A all encompassing course on how to improve your relationship with food and body image through intuitive eating, how to figure out how to meal plan and shop and cook with ADHD, um, how to really stop binging, how to stop feeling out of control around food, how to stop feeling like you're addicted to sugar because. We're not actually addicted to sugar, um, which I talk about in a lot in the course, um, just how to really feel like you're confident with eating. Um, I have that that self-paced course, and I also uh, offer monthly um, coaching calls along with that. And then the other thing that I have going on is my group coaching program, which I use my online course as sort of the backbone for it. And then I do weekly coaching for 12 weeks in in addition to some one-on-one coaching with that. So it's sort of a hybrid. And um, people can
1: find that at eatingwithadhd.com. Wonderful. Okay. So we will put that in the show notes. Again, it's eatingwithadhd.com? Yes. Okay. Perfect. Nicole, thank you so much for coming back and spending time with us here today.
0: Thank you for having me, Tracy. I'm excited that we got to chat all about gut health.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So that's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Nicole, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women, Come over and join me at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smart Ass Women podcast. join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is AOK" system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.